How's everyone doing today? Good. Nice and cold outside. Don't worry, we're going to get you out before the snow hits. Um, My name's Russell. Welcome to Hope Brooklyn, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so happy to have you. Uh, We are a church plant, and we are in what we're calling the preview season of our existence. And uh, the metaphor I used last week, any baseball players in the room, um, I was a catcher back in the day. And anytime you bought a new catcher's mitt, you could not take it immediately into games. The, the leather was so tight, <laughs> excuse me, the leather was so tight that you had to play hours of catch with it. Um, you had to smother it in oil and bake it in the oven. You had to really work it out before it was suitable for games. That's kind of what the preview season is. That's what we're doing. We are doing all this for the first time. Um, we are learning. Our staff is learning what it is to be pastors, what it is to lead a church. And most important, you guys are learning about what our vision is. You're discerning, determining if this culture is right for you. And as as we were thinking about what are sort of like the three pillars that make up who we are, this is what we thought. And this is a page out of Jesus's playbook. Everywhere Jesus went, he was constantly surrounded by two groups, those called disciples and those called crowds. And that's just another way of saying that we're gonna be a community, not of all Christians, that there's a spectrum. And this spectrum is, one's response to the question, who is Jesus? Some of us here would say Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Lord. Some of us here would not say that yet. They need more information. They're still feeling it out. That's awesome. It's all fair game. But we're gonna be a community, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, your questions are welcome. Your presence is so needed. You bring something so unique to us. Secondly, we're a community of the story. We believe that the gospel at its best is telling one incredible story about God's creation and then uh, pursuit and redemption of the cosmos. And we think that uh, we are gonna discuss that story over and over and over again. And that brings up the third, we're gonna do it over food because Jesus was always eating with people and we gotta eat in New York as is, so we're just gonna eat together. So that's our vision, that's what we're about. And during this preview season, um, we're sort of allowing time We're sort of working in the midst, so to speak, of buying into this vision, making it your own, and then going out and doing it. So this is really an exciting season because we're celebrating Advent together. And Advent is a season, I feel like I'm using season a lot right now. Advent is a season in the church's history, in the church calendar. It's the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas, and it describes the story um, when God puts on flesh and enters into the world. And each Sunday represents a particular theme in the story. So we started with hope, and then we talked about waiting last week. And today we're talking about joy. Now you might've wondered at the choice of text. It's an interesting text if we're describing joy. We got John the Baptist who's sitting in prison, struggling with doubt about what he just spent his last years of life doing. I think it's actually really perfect for us though because our society by and large is deeply confused about joy. We're deeply confused. Primarily because we get anything we want when we want it. We have information like that. Um, What do we know about the joy that comes from waiting for something and struggling for something and pursuing something and having it constantly out of our reach, but then finally realized. I, um, a couple years back, I'm a huge soccer fan. 
And yeah, there we go, Jose. Um, huge soccer fan. And I had the opportunity to go to an Arsenal match in London. And <laughs> two for two, love it. <laughs> um, I don't think there's any electricity and joy quite like a soccer match. Uh, I love football games, I love basketball games, but the joy and the energy in a soccer match is unparalleled. And it makes sense, right? It's so anticipatory. You are watching the game. There's not a lot of goals scored. And you're watching these 11 players and they're sort of putting combinations together and there's near misses and you're like hanging on by a thread. And then when it finally happens, you just erupt. The stadium erupts. I think John the Baptist has a lot to teach us about that kind of joy today. What you see in our text today is that uh, he reemerges in Matthew's account. We're in Matthew's account of Jesus' life. And he reemerges for the first time since chapter 3. And he reemerges in a quite tragic way. In chapter 3, he's in the Jordan River. Thousands are coming to him. He's preaching, he's doing what he feels so called to do, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, and he's baptizing. Fast forward eight chapters and he's in prison, struggling with self-doubt and wondering if his entire life has been a lie. He's heard things, he's, he's heard rumors about the works that Jesus is doing. Now perhaps they're good rumors, perhaps what he's heard in prison are good reports of what he's doing but it could also be negative things. Just a couple verses later, Jesus will admit that one of the rumors swirling about him is that the son of man is called a glutton and a drunkard. Perhaps John has heard that and wondering, wait, that doesn't really square up with the Messiah that I thought I was heralding, that I was proclaiming. Whatever he's heard, his expectations of the Messiah are unmet. Jesus has underperformed and underdelivered what he thought. He's disappointed. Anyone else disappointed by the way life turns out sometimes? Anyone can relate with unmet expectations? You thought it was gonna go one way and it's just grossly below that. That's what John's feeling. And he's sitting in prison and he sends his disciples to ask a question of Jesus. Are you the one who was to come? Or are we waiting for someone else? It's a powerful line. It's a powerful question because in chapter three, he was the one in the Jordan who recognized Jesus and said, I need to be baptized by you. And you want to be baptized by me? He saw Jesus and he immediately knew who he was. And Jesus said, it's it's right for this to happen right now. And then eight chapters later, this same Jesus, he's asking, who are you? Are you the one that I was waiting for, that I poured my life into? Or was I fooled? Has my life been a lie? My, uh, my years, my career, I just wasted it? Who are you? Did I get it entirely wrong? The first thing that I think John's question exposes about joy True joy, gospel joy, is right before absolute despair. It is. John's life's work has disappeared. He was baptizing thousands in the Jordan. And now he's sitting in prison, awaiting who knows what, 
and everyone's deserted him. And the guy who he was heralding has not met his expectations. Everyone's forgotten him, dismissed him, angry at him. And this question, this is the absolute last moment before he throws in the towel and says, to heck with it all. I was so fooled. Are you the one? Or was I absolutely wrong? The last ounce of John's hope. Friends, we cannot understand gospel joy until we get to that place right before we throw it all in. Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, was a a pastor uh, in the time of Nazi Germany. And he was arrested and he sat in jail for a long time. Uh, I think two or three years, something like that. I guess that's not that long, but probably felt like a long time. Um, And he wrote a poem. He wrote a poem called, Who Am I? And this poem could just as easily have been John the Baptist's poem. And in this poem, he talks about how he steps out of his cell at the beginning of the day. And everyone always loves Dietrich. They're like, oh, you're so optimistic. You're so kind. You're so full of hope. And he goes, well, who am I? Because Dietrich knows that when he steps back in his cell, he's full of longing and doubt. He's tired. He's angry. He's lonely. So he's like, who am I? Am I this person or the other? They mock me these lonely questions of mine, but whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. Gospel joy comes before that moment of absolute despair. Your life's work will be forgotten. Your expectations unmet. The things you put hope in will disappoint and you will come face to face with the sad reality of being a broken human in a broken world. I thought we were talking about joy, right? This does not sound very joyful. But it's true, friends. Unfortunately, it's true. We cannot understand the joy of the gospel until we come face to face with that reality of being a broken human in a broken world. Last week, we talked about waiting. Waiting must come before joy. And then it'll materialize. When you get to that point, it'll materialize into one last question and you'll say, are you the one, Jesus? Are you the one or was I fooled? Should I be waiting for another? What is this all about? So John sends his disciples with that question and the disciples ask Jesus and Jesus infuriatingly, like always, does not answer the question. Just say yes, Jesus. Just say yes to this man who has poured out his entire life following you living in the desert. He was called by God from his mother's womb for a a, a task, an assignment that I'm pretty sure most of us in this room would not want. Just say, yes, put this man out of his misery. God doesn't put people out of their misery. God only knows how to give life. And since when does getting what we want ever bring us lasting joy? Friends, God knows you better than you know you. Jesus knows John better than John knows John. So he says, go tell John what you see and hear. Are you the one who is to come? Go tell John what you see and hear. Joy is learning to see as God sees. 
Joy is learning to see as God sees. Jesus quotes Isaiah 35, the prophet Isaiah, which interestingly enough, the subtitle of this passage is called the joy of the redeemed. And what he says in in that passage, Isaiah, and of course all prophets are just communicating God's vision for Israel. They're telling Israel what God sees. And he says, the eyes of the blind shall be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. And in the very next line, which Jesus doesn't quote, but John would have known it since he was a student of scripture. The very next line is, for waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. In Isaiah's prophecy, in God's way of seeing, the desert gives way to life-quenching water. And what's so interesting about that is because John's ministry was characterized by the desert. He grew up in the desert as it was foretold. He did his work at the Jordan River. People would leave the city and go out to the desert to see him and to hear him preach. He did all his work in the desert and now it's giving way. It's giving way to thirst quenching water. So go tell John, look, look again. Jesus is asking John to calm down, take a breath and look again. Maybe he's asking you that. Calm down, take a breath and look again. It's interesting because Jesus then turns to the crowd and he quotes another prophet. He quotes the prophet Malachi. And he says, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Someone in fine clothes? No, of course not. A prophet? Yes. And one of whom it was foretold, I will send my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare for me, for my coming. The desert is now giving way to the water of life. And Jesus is saying, look, John, it's all coming true. It might not look how you thought it was gonna look, but look, it's coming true. I love the movie, Mr. Holland's Opus. In that movie, yeah, yeah, it's such a great film. In that movie, it it tells of a a, a composer, a musician named Glenn Holland. And um, starting off, he wanted to write, he wanted to compose something wonderful. But life is life, and he had to get a job to pay the bills. And so he became a music teacher at a local high school. And he, at first, it was like, hey, it's, it's three years, it's two years, that's all I'm gonna do. I'll work out my, my composition at night and I'll be, you know, I'll be done with, with teaching soon enough. But they had a son, the son was born deaf, life multiplies upon life, and before he knows it, he spent his entire career uh, teaching music to high schoolers. And he loved it, he loved his job. But of course, like anything, there was an ounce of disappointment there. It didn't turn out the way he thought it was. And when he retired, um, unbeknownst to him, all his former and current students had planned a retirement party for him. And so his son, uh, as he's packing up on his last day at school, 30, 35 years later, his son takes him into the auditorium and it's packed full of his former students and they erupt into applause. And that's just the first surprise. And he's, he's crying, he's so moved, and he gets to the front. And then one particular former student, who you remember her from earlier on in the movie, she suffered from a lack of confidence. 
And Mr. Holland really worked with her and now she'd become the mayor of their town. And uh, she starts talking to the audience and she goes, not everyone knew this, but Mr. Holland uh, was writing a symphony. Um, He wrote it his entire life. And so as a surprise, some of Mr. Holland's current and former students had learned it and they were gonna play it back to him. But then she says this line where she goes, Mr. Holland, look around you. We are your symphony. We are the work you've always been working on. Look around, Mr. Holland. Jesus is saying to John, look, John, look around you. It's happening. It's happening. It might not be how you thought it was going to look, but it's happening. Jesus might be saying to you today, look around you. It might not look how you planned in your head, but it's happening. So if joy is right before absolute despair, because it doesn't look like the way we thought. And if it's not a simple word, but learning how to see, then gospel joy is hidden in humility. In verse two, Matthew tells the readers that when John heard in prison about the works of the Messiah, the Christos, he sent his disciples to ask, are you the one who is to come? Now, this is why this is fascinating. Matthew didn't say when John heard about the works of Jesus, he said when John heard about the works of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask, are you the one who is to come? Which is shorthand for Messiah. So basically it's reading, when John heard about the works of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask, are you the Messiah? In effect, Matthew is revealing Jesus's identity to the reader, though John in this moment doesn't see it. Matthew was telling the reader, yes, this is the Messiah. Jesus is that. But John can't see it right now. The one who he baptized and rightly saw then, you are the Messiah. Eight chapters later, he can't tell anymore. He's not sure. Things have gotten fuzzy and hazy. And Jesus's works testify to who he is, not his mouth which is interesting for us, right? We just want Jesus to say, yes, I'm the Messiah, but he doesn't. He says, look around you. Look at what's happening. John is directed to the works of the Messiah because Jesus is too humble and too self-effacing, too contrary to the powerful of this world. Jesus doesn't say, look at me. The powerful of this world say, look at me. Jesus says, look at the works. Look at what's happening. The identity of Jesus is hidden from John. Gospel joy is hidden in humility. But more than that, more than that, not only is the identity of Jesus hidden from John, but the identity of John is hidden from John. Because when the disciples leave, when John's disciples leave, Jesus questions the crowd about John's ministry. And he quotes the prophet Malachi and he says, this is the one who Malachi foretold to say, I will go before you. I will send my messenger before you to prepare uh, your way. What's so interesting is that the word for messenger is angelos, which means angel. And I love that. I'm not sure if Malachi meant it that way, but I love that idea. 
that an angel who came in camel hair, an angel who ate locusts and wild honey and lived in the desert, an angel who ended up in prison and despairing, an angel who questioned the very message he was charged to bring. John's identity is hidden even from John. And that would make sense because if you can't see Jesus rightly, odds are you're not gonna see yourself either. If you can't see Jesus for who he is, you're not yet forming a right interpretation of yourself. True joy is hidden, especially from ourselves. And John probably doesn't know this, but among those born of women, there's never been one greater than him. I wonder if he, if he felt that while he was sitting in prison, cold and lonely and doubting the very reason why he, was, why he thought his life mattered. Can we take a lesson from John's joy today? Your identity, friends, it might be hidden even from yourself. Gospel joy is right before that moment of despair. Gospel joy is learning to see as God sees. And when we do that, when we learn to see as God sees, we find that the real things of joy, real joy is hidden in the smallest moments of life. Um, so many people don't know this, but Sundays are really hard for pastors. There's actually such a thing uh, called pastor depression on Sundays and Mondays. And the reason why is because uh, we show up and we believe something so strongly. We believe something um, that we think is gonna change the world. And we invite people to see it as we see it. We invite people to look around, look at what God is doing. Waters are coming up in the desert. But then Sunday services end and we go home and we think, what, what just happened? Did, did anything just happen? Did, did anyone get it? Did anyone walk away changed? And we struggle with doubt and loneliness and those questions, those despairing questions that perhaps um, John struggled with. And so this song that Manny's playing, uh, a couple Sundays ago, I had a particular episode where I, I struggled mightily. Came home and I was like, what, what just happened? What did we do today? And um, Anna and I, because she's far wiser than I am, we turned off all the lights in the house except for the Christmas tree and we danced to this song. And Anna always does this thing when I'm feeling particularly lonely or doubting myself where as we dance, she'll take the left side of my face, which is the broken side. It's very bumpy and asymmetrical. And she'll put it next to her cheek and she'll nuzzle it. She'll just nuzzle it, no words. And we danced. And my lonely questions, what did happen today? Did, did anything happen? Did anyone see Jesus? anyone experience him which are hidden even from me it's not for me to know 
in that moment with just the Christmas tree lights, God teaches me to see correctly. That the joy, true joy, as much as I love you guys, it's not found in you. True joy is hidden in humility. It's hidden in dancing with my wife as the broken side of my face is being nuzzled by hers. That's the joy of the gospel. That's the vision that God is inviting us to see. It's there, friends. It's there in your own life. And so many millions of ways it's there. It just might not look as you thought. It might be a little bit different. It might be a little bit humbler. But I invite you, as John was trained to see, to see it, to look again, to take a deep breath, compose yourself, and look again. And so, close, we're going to take communion. And the reason why we do that, communion is pretty much the the obvious uh, conclusion of every sermon. It teaches us to see. This is one way, a very humble way, that Jesus left his disciples to learn to see the world as he sees it. For the joy of the cosmos is found right there and the simple bread and juice. We might not even understand it, we probably don't. But when we receive the bread and we take the juice, we proclaim that he's alive, that the works of the Messiah are still happening, that the blind are still receiving sight, the lame are still walking, the deaf are still being given hearing, the good news are being preached to the poor, and that he's good and his love prevails. Even if we can't see it today, his love prevails. So I invite that joy to fill your own soul as we partake in communion today. And so what we always like to do is have someone from the community sort of welcome us into communion. And so Kelsey's gonna come up um, and she's gonna share a little something about communion and then I'll give some directions and we'll take it together. And if the worship team also wants to come back up now.